Yes, hello my friends and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris, his name is Hayden Winks. We need an extra 12 hours to digest the week 15, ongoing week 15, and how the playoff picture is shaking up. Hayden, how you doing, man? Doing good. I I liked how we were able to sit there and actually like think about these games a little bit more. I feel a little less stressed recapping the show at like what 730 when games are just ending at 729. So hopefully um, that comes through the content today. Let's do it. So today everyone knows power rankings. Talk about what happened on Sunday through those rankings. Look at the individual games of what just happened but also how these teams are faring now and in their future, potentially for a playoff run. As always, if you have never played on Underdog, now is the time to do so. With especially playoff best ball just around the corner, especially with these two two-game slates that we have back-to-back on Monday night and Tuesday night, perfect time for pick them as well. So go and check that out. If you never deposit an Underdog, use promo code the show, and we match what you put in. 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is. All right, here we go. Hayden and I both rank teams. We put them together and we are a bit different even at the top. Hayden, and we'll go with his to make him feel better. Hayden at his number one spot has the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who just got shut out on Sunday night football against the New Orleans Saints. We know the Bucs are 10 and four, nine to nothing here. To your credit though, Hayden, Chris Godwin out for the rest of the regular season. Kind of sounds like Mike Evans is on that similar path as well. And we're still waiting on news about Leonard Fournette's hamstring. Your thoughts after we saw for the fourth straight game in the regular season, Tom Brady get confused and let down by his team around him and what the Saints defense put out there. Yeah, the Saints just got pressure on him. And then in the second half, when their skill core was completely decimated, they couldn't win their one-on-one matchups. And Tom Brady got frustrated, and that's how it goes. So when I was doing the power rankings, it was between the Bucks and the Packers. And when I looked at the Packers schedule, I looked and I saw, oh yeah, they lost to the same Saints team three to thirty-one. So like that was like I was but in like, week ah, one. That that doesn't yeah, matter as no, much for sure. Both teams are very banged up right now. I think that yes. the best is yet to come for both of these teams. So yeah, maybe for the next couple of weeks, the Packers might be better. But I, it just really comes down to these two teams, which team is going to get more of their better players back? If that's going to be Chris Godwin in the playoffs, is Antonio Brown going to come back next week? Then on the Packers side, we have left tackle, cornerback one, edge one, a bunch of other players on that side of the ball. But either way, both these teams usually pretty complete. Everyone's going to have some bad weeks. But for the Bucs, to me, it was just basically a little bit too much pressure. And then eventually the one-on-one matchups that we're used to just always winning we're just not winning uh, on Sunday. Bucks very much said that the past be the past and welcome back Antonio Brown also this week. And so they'll get him for the final three games of the regular season. Stands out to me is the Bucks are still, and now one full game behind potentially getting the number one seed in the NFC. This one would have gone a very, very long way for that. I am no coaching or X and O's guru. I try to dabble in that stuff as much as possible, but the way Dennis Allen is able to do this to Tom Brady. And I think so much of it, Hayden is, I mean, we know Brady is incredible and pre-snap post-snap making the right decisions, sliding in the pocket, even looking athletic compared to what he was, you know, at 27 years of age now in his early forties, but the saints defensive line 
and their group of powerful rushers just gives this Bucks offensive line trouble. Like Tristan Wirfs is an incredible right tackle in terms of his athleticism, in terms of strength, in terms of ability to anchor. But what Cameron Jordan did to him in that sack, I think it might have been the first one he's given up or second one he's given up all season long. That is such that is such a difference. And I mean, there were even a couple other turnovers, a couple other plays. And I think we can throw some of this out. But I know and the Saints are very, very unlikely. I mean, I know they're in the seventh seed right now, but we have some games here to play in just a little bit with their roster and how it's constructed, very unlikely to get there in the playoffs. But this is certainly not a team that the Bucs want to see as the two or three seed down there at the wildcard spots either. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's just going to come down to like how much trust Tom Brady has in these skill guys for the next couple of weeks. Because like it seems like they get so frustrated at Ronald Jones. They get even more frustrated at Keyshawn Vaughn. I mean, my gosh, do they not trust him? Scotty Miller gave him opportunities to win a one-to-one. Couldn't do it. T- Tyler Johnson, same thing. Nope. So... Gronk had a very bad game, probably his worst game of this season. Um, it just all came at the at the wrong time. But yeah, big credit to the Saints. Like they're always very well coached, even without their head coach in this one. And you can tell how physical they are. And like, I mean, just their free safety and their their strong safety against Gronk at times. Then they had those one on one matchups with Cam Jordan and the rest of the crew. So it's just they're built to kind of handle a Bucks team that usually wins their one on one matchups, but. It all comes down to health in these matchups. I know this game was the last one on Sunday night too, but it kind of really put a book into what a disaster week 15 was for the first round of best ball mania playoffs, best ball mania two playoffs, because the buck stack was the number one advance rate stack out there. Um, there was a lot of values when we were talking Leonard Fournette, when we we're talking Antonio Brown, when we we're talking Rob Gronkowski. I mean, Fournette and Gronkowski had huge advance rates and just how this basically puts a goose egg on all of those. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see and track which teams advance to uh, to round two. Yeah, I mean, Brady attempted 48 passes, only 214 yards. Just rank them quickly. Rank these. The importance of the team getting them back. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette in your eyes. So I would go Chris Godwin. There's something like he gets so many targets, and when they go super pass-heavy, Chris Godwin's the guy that they get involved in the screen game and all that stuff too, and he kind of wins everywhere. And then I'd go Mike Evans than Leonard Fournette. But I don't think that just because Leonard Fournette is a running back means that he doesn't matter to this team. Like there are ways that they use Leonard Fournette that Ronald Jones, like they just have not given those opportunities. Like it's, it's third downs. And and he had another kind of issue on pass protection here when they throw the ball out to the flats. It just doesn't seem like they trust him as much. And even before Fournette got injured, there was a couple of plays where he was lining up outside and just winning on matchups, contested catches too. So um, I think all three of them really matter. I think there's a big drop off, obviously, but at least they have Gronk and AB to fall back back on. And Mike Evans, it's a minor injury for him, so I'm guessing he's going to miss a game or two and then come back. Um, hopefully, this isn't going to be a nagging injury for him. All right, let's talk about the Saints on the opposite end. We have them at 19 in the power rankings. Taysom Hill finishes this game 13 of 27, 154. I put out a tweet prior to this contest because I know a lot of people wanted to you know, rely on Taysom Hill and their first round of the fantasy playoffs that the guy who has believed in him most in Sean Payton was not going to be there for this game. I mean, that's the play caller. That's the one who knows how to operate and use him in this offense. And so what you get is just 154 yards in the air, 33 yards on the ground. I mean, this really outlines with Alvin Kamara, just 18 yards in the ground, Alvin Kamara, just 13 yards in the air outlines just how much of a great defensive performance this was by the Saints, which is a defense that has been up and down all season long. Start off the first eight games fantastic. 
these last two or three has been really, really good throughout the game against the Eagles when they got ran over, throughout games that Cameron Jordan has missed and getting David Anumata back now. If they get there, if they are frisky, it's all based on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think it's a top five defense. Like you said, they, they got some key pieces back, even their slot corner, who was a complete menace last night as well. So, yeah, the, the Saints defense is legit. Like, I know that they can get beat and man to man for some explosive plays, but like a lot of the times it's they're winning these matchups. So, I think that this defense is one of the few that is an actual difference maker. But going back to the Taysom Hill stuff, I think for fantasy purpose purposes, you kind of want them playing from behind because yes. when they start stacking the box, like those zone read stuff, like, okay, there's eight, nine guys down there. It's just going to be hard to be picking up yards. And you want Taysom Hill like scrambling. Like, yeah, the zone read stuff is, is, is cute. We like that. But like we want like it's third and eight and he just like takes off for seven, eight, nine yards. Yep. And we did not get those. You don't want him playing conservatively the with the lead. Yeah. Yes, it's the worst. And they're super slow. And a lot of it was just like, Alvin Kamara to the sideline. And then like, the, I mean, the Bucks is also a terrible matchup because the Bucks linebackers right. are so fast. If you have giving pressure, they can rotate all those edge rushers. So it was a very tough matchup and it even got worse because they were playing uh, with the lead. So yeah, this Saints team, it's going to be like a classic wildcard team. If they can get in there that like they can keep a team close, but like we know there's really not a ceiling with this team just because like this offense is so limited their wide receiver situation is among the worst in the league. And Taysom, Taysom Hill, as a passer, just misses too many throws. Yeah, I mean, Taysom can't do it as a 17-game starter. It, yeah. That is something that we have learned here just in in the last few weeks. I know that's not totally fair compared to what Jameis had earlier in the year because of all the offensive line injuries they're dealing with now. I know that our, also Marcus Callaway went out there and had 112 yards on, on nine targets. But wide open down the middle of the field, well, I wouldn't even say wide open. It was a post that Chris Collinsworth says a back shoulder post, which I guess Taysom's out there inventing throws where he throws it about 20 yards short. And so that allows Marquez Callaway to go up and get it. This is just not an offense where you say, Hey, the seven successful plays that we ran this week, I can copy that and make the game plan around it. The next week, there is no flow. There is no system. There's nothing that is working. And uh, yeah, I would expect the saints to be in very much, the high-end quarterback conversations as we go on through January and February. Okay. I guess that's it. No closing word there from Hayden. Let's jump to the Green Bay Packers. My team at number one here, Hayden, because what we have seen from their quarterback, we've been tracking this all season long. Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, our guy since July to win MVP. It's all about the late season narrative. We always forget this. And Aaron Rodgers going out there for two excuse me, 268, 23, 31, three touchdowns. When Devontae Adams, which we alluded to, and we suggested this is potentially could happen going against a bottom three pass defense and his career had averaged just 55 yards in that five game sample. We can add the six to it because now it's six receptions, 44 yards and a score here. Ravens defense is awful, but these consistency games that Aaron Rodgers is making in highlight reel throws, which I think might you know, be the most important when we talk about the long-term narrative, Aaron Rodgers is balling at just the right time. Yeah, it's definitely, and the betting markets agree with this, it's Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady for the MVP, and that's it. And it's kind of interesting discussion because historically, the, the two stats that matter for the race 
is team wins, which the Packers are going to have probably a slight advantage over the Buccaneers. And then it's total touchdowns. And Tom Brady is going to probably have a little bit of an edge on Aaron Rodgers there. So I think it's definitely a toss up. Aaron Rodgers has been playing great football. Like I don't need, I don't need to be the one telling you that. I think that the, the big difference though, it, and I think it's this one of these catches right here is, is MVS. Like what he adds to this, this team is really important. There was a couple of go balls that they keep going. I think that he just opens up a lot of the stuff underneath and they can kind of win with power rushing. They can win with Aaron Jones stuff out of the backfield. All, all obviously all the Devonte Adams stuff in the red zone is elite. And then MVS as a downfield stretcher. And then like the other guys, like an Alan Lazard makes an occasional play. One of the best run blockers as well. So this team is just, this team is loaded and they're, they're only getting going to get better as they get healthier. So um, this, I, I think there are the two best teams. It's the Packers, the Bucks, and then I think we're going to get into the Chiefs. But this was another brilliant performance. Um, except the defense is—it's hard to—it's hard to like tell with the defense because they're so injured. Like the last couple of weeks, they have not been as secure as they were in the middle parts of the season. But this offense is just so good that I don't think it's going to matter that much. We talked about it with the Bucks. We know about it with the Cardinals. Other teams are going to get to in the NFC. The Packers are the only team that are getting healthier, which is pretty crazy. I know what you're saying about the defense. The last two weeks to consider, like you have a mobile quarterback in both in Tyler Huntley here with the Ravens, Chicago Bears, obviously with Justin Fields, even though a lot of that is obviously from the pocket. But that that can be, you know, put a defense into stressful situations where, you know, it's almost like a contain aspect versus making huge, huge plays. Um, yeah, 31-30 victory over the Ravens here. Rogers, man. I mean, these throws that he makes in tight windows, obviously it helps and elevates the people around him, but then they, and like this group, this is what like the conversation was all the way back when on draft day, when it was reported that, Hey, he might want to be playing elsewhere. When you look at this roster, they are, they have a really good group. It's a really good group to win with in Aaron Jones, and A.J. Dillon, who combined for just 20 carries and 80 yards, barely anything in the passing game for both combined for 25 yards as well. But I also think that Matt LaFleur is an awesome play caller, the health factor as we're moving forward. And again, just this ability to put you in crazy throw situations that no one else, maybe outside of Justin Herbert and Patrick Holmes in the quarterback landscape can do, making those tight window you know moments is is something that is indefensible at times and we saw a bunch of those against the ravens in week 15 yeah they're currently according to 538 have a 78% chance of having the first round by second place in those odds in the nfc is actually the cowboys and then the buccaneers so yeah i mean this is, they should probably be the super bowl favorites if they're going to lock up the nfc by and then it's, it's I think it's them and the Chiefs have the, probably the best shots of going to the Super Bowl in their um, divisions. Yeah, this team's just really good. Final thought on that: If the Packers do get the first round by, look at who they might be facing coming into their own house: Tampa Bay, warm weather; Dallas Cowboys, dome; Los Angeles Rams, dome; Arizona Cardinals, dome; San Francisco 49ers, warm weather. You know, like. All these teams, Minnesota Vikings, Dome, not built like right now this Packers team to go in there 
and have the right personnel, potentially have the right mentality. Let's talk about the Ravens because it's so fun to see players out of nowhere go and perform in a game that many people are watching. And we wax poetic about Lamar Jackson this season. And he was fantastic. And it's easy to lose sight of how great he was. But when Tyler Huntley jumps in there, one, I think it's really good evaluations in-house to have someone like that on your roster, but more so the individual of being someone who makes a considerable amount of plays in a very, very tough spot, 28 of 40. I know it's just for 215 yards and two touchdowns at another 73 yards and two scores on the ground. I know for you, when you watch that, it looks even better than the stats because he bought himself some time and tried to make a lot of plays that throughout the league backups are not elevating the people around him like he was. Yeah, completely agree. And it's nice to have the same type of backup quarterback as your starting quarterback. And obviously, yes. if you're watching Tyler Huntley, there was a couple of plays where like, oh, dang, like you can kind of see it, um, especially scrambling. Like they they had some design stuff, but even just as a scrambler to buy him some time was super impressive. I just wanted to note that Tyler Huntley was, I think, like the Florida like high school player of the year, goes to Utah, uh, has some great seasons at Utah and then doesn't get a combine invite like what is up with that like i cannot believe that is what happened to tyler huntley he deserved to get drafted he deserved combine love i'm i'm very happy that we have uh tyler huntley uh coming back and showing how impressive he is i think he at least needs to be the ravens long-term backup if they keep him around i think he's super valuable what he was able to do um in a tough environment uh, coming back and almost getting a win here was super impressive. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion. Obviously, there already was about the going for two uh, dilemma later in the game. But what my take is, is the Ravens needed to go for two when they were down eight. That's what they've been doing historically. I'm unsure why they didn't go for two in this situation. Uh but I think that they would have had at least more information when they went for two at the end of the game. I was okay with that. I think that the number shows mostly a toss up. Um, so at that point, just like, okay, what is the in-game dynamics and the in-game dynamics where you have uh, a team without any of your secondary, even in this game, the Ravens did not have their, um, some of their safeties in, they had players leaving early and Aaron Rodgers was clearly just dicing them up. Uh, the Ravens were clearly the worst team in the situation. So if you can go have one chance to win it, I'm totally for it. Uh, did not really like the play call. I do not like when teams kind of just eliminate half the field, but I think it was the right decision. Uh, if they score, they're up one. Aaron Rodgers has 40 seconds left. Uh, only one timeout. Like, like even if it's Aaron Rodgers, the odds of him getting down there for field goal range uh, with that kicker, in that environment, I don't know. I think that would be like a less than 50% chance uh, for the Packers to win that. So, yeah, when you're the worst team, I say be aggressive. You don't want to go to overtime when you're the, clearly the worst team uh, that comes down to a to coin toss and holding Aaron Rodgers for an entire drive when he doesn't have any time constraints seems like the worst idea. So, I think he kind of blew it by not going for two earlier in the game. Uh, but I'm very curious to see what he has to say. There must be something else that I'm missing because the Ravens historically have been going for two in those situations. All right, going back up to the chat, um, we have 
this question. What do you think about Antonio Brown coming back? Will he get run? Yeah, I mean, I think earlier on, I was a little bit concerned that he can get cut. But I think that he's going to come back. I think that he's going to be like a top 10 running or top 10 wide receiver uh, for the rest of the way. Just they have to throw the ball. And I don't think they're going to pass the ball like these other guys. It's just going to be him. So, Hayden, did we talk about close game regression here? For the Ravens or their ability to go for two and those decisions yet? I went for two, uh, or I, I talked about the going for two. I did not know about this regression that you're talking about. So curious what, what that means. So Ravens started the season six and one in close games prior to that Steelers contest. And it's so funny, Hayden, that in those games, there were attempts to go for two, you know, score touchdowns. I mean, you can see John Harbaugh from the sidelines asking Lamar. And then when they work out, there are no conversations as to, oh, was this the right decision, right? Obviously, since then, because as we've alluded to from a player standpoint, from a team standpoint, regression happens and it has happened here. They've lost three of their last four by a margin of just four in total, four in total. So there's other layers to this too. Like, I don't think it's just what works for this game works for last game. And I know that you've talked about this on Twitter as well, that there is some, you know, individual aspects and individual decisions based on the game that you are in. I think the Ravens understand because we can, it's not like they, you know, put their team, their roster, their injury report on a pedestal and say, Oh, we're as good as the Packers are at this moment. I mean, look what Nate Tice pointed out average yard gains on first down. Nine for the Packers yesterday. The Ravens were at a lowly 3.4 yards. So when you have the ability, when the clock's around 50 seconds left, to go up by one, you do it. You do it. And you obviously digest and absorb any criticism that comes your way because there is some momentum. There is some gut feeling all factored in there. And I think all of the points force them to go for it in that scenario. Yeah, I totally agree. The last rant I have to get off my chest is the are blank and blank accounted for in analytics. Like, yes, like everything is accounted for. And I know it's off of a, a lot of the stuff is based off of like NFL wide data. But these coaches are thinking through what matters and what doesn't matter. As a reminder, these analytics staff, there's multiple people on each NFL team that are spending 40, 50, 60 hours a week every week of the year talking to coaches going over the stuff. And they are very smart people. Like the fact that people are always like, is like all these things accounted for in analytics. Like the answer is yes. Like they are thinking about this all day long. There's only so many models you can create in an NFL season. The fourth down ones and the going for two ones are massive. They've spent probably 500 hours going through all this stuff. They've tried to account for everything. So it's just like crazy how we have to like pretend like, Oh, they haven't thought about this. Yes, they have. I promise. But even you beyond have. that, I, I think you could discard all of the algorithms and what the sheet tells you. Like, if you just wanted to make the case from a pure football guy standpoint, a momentum standpoint, a gut decision standpoint, you could easily make the case of why that was the correct decision yesterday and why, you know, going into overtime would have been the incorrect decision. So yes. it's not even like I, I think now we're getting to a point where one, it's black and white, 
right or wrong. I think there's a lot of gray area in between, and it's not a one size fits all for every single moment, every single team, every single matchup. And so I also believe that, again, there's an ability and a case to be made on from both angles. And to me, it aligned perfectly where both angles said to to go for the win yesterday. And like credit yeah. to John Harbaugh, man. Credit to him. Yeah, he's ballsy. I think that it's something that like in this play call sucked. But the play calls, yeah, I, I hate when they eliminate half the field on des- a designed rollout. Like you're better off letting Huntley go crazy as a scrambler when he can go to either side and kind of judge based off of where the defense is rather than like going trying to win one on one or two on two um to the perimeter. Uh going back to the this analytics thing. I don't even think that this was a case of analytics. In fact, I think that he actually went against analytics twice. I think that the analytics would have said you're going for two when you're down eight and he didn't do that. And then I think that some of the models had this as a toss up or a slight kick when you're going for two at the end. And I think that he had the quote unquote momentum. He had a gut feel about how his roster was because of the injury situation. And that's why he went for it. So I don't think this was an analytics decision. I think this was just the right decision based on the game environment. And when you are in a situation when you have a backup quarterback and basically backups everywhere, I would rather have a one-game sample to determine that situation rather than going into overtime and have to win a game based off of 16 uh, or so plays. So, yeah, whenever you're the underdog, lower that sample size, create more variance. I think that's exactly what uh, John Harbaugh did. So. He'll get roasted, but I think that I think it was still probably. I, I'm more upset about the the first uh, non two point conversion than actually him right. trying to win the game at the end. Yeah, narrowing the field, and I think that's the biggest thing is the play call you can get mad at. Like that that is shortening the field to a third or a half. I know people said that Marquise Brown was open the back portion, but with someone that's that athletic, you should ask everyone to you know defend every single blade of grass, and they didn't do that. Well, that conversation on decision making and key scenarios and fourth down. And goal line opportunities and going for two leads us into the Kansas City Chiefs at our number three, who last Thursday in overtime beat the Los Angeles Chargers 34-28. The number one guest we've had on the show is Brandon Staley and his press conferences. We'll bypass that today because I think Hayden and I have done enough of those conversations. But let's first focus on the Chiefs because this is a team who has transformed over the season. There were points when the defense was the absolute worst in the NFL. There were points when the offense was not putting up anything. Well, here against the Chargers, 410 passing yards, three touchdowns for Patrick Mahomes, not needing anything from the ground game, which they have relied on a lot at times this year. And Travis Kelsey goes 191, Tyreek Hill 148. They combined for three touchdowns. And as we all hoped, Heading into this year, the superstars carry the Chiefs to this overtime win. Yeah, it wasn't plan calling to me. It was just mostly we have guys that are backyard football superstars, and that's what kept happening. A lot of the plays that Mahomes was making, it was not like just three-step drop back and then fire it in there. It was like, no, scramble left, scramble right, find Travis Kelsey, and then Travis Kelsey makes 10 guys miss for huge gains. Um, that's how the Tyreek Hill touchdown happened. That's how uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's two-point conversion happened. That's how they won the game. It was an incredible performance. Uh, the Chargers had a third and 10 with a minute 30 left, and Joey Bosa was this close to yep. s- sacking Patrick Mahomes, but he was able to step up, fire it, 
uh, create first down. So yeah, this was just a, an offense that when the backyard type of plays are hitting, they are basically unstoppable. And I think it was good to see that the the that Travis Kelsey still has a little bit of juice. He actually created a lot of separation and burst on that game winning touchdown. So um, I don't want to say they're fully back, but this team is certainly, yep. I think the best team in the AFC. And I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of walked back to the Super Bowl. I think that with the defense playing that well, if they're going to get some of their swagger back on offense, like that's tough. Again, it always sounds like when I say words like this, jargon like this, that I'm just, you know, buying into narratives, but peaking at the right time is definitely a thing in the NFL. Just look at what the Bucks did last year. Now at times running into luck, especially with injuries and COVID cases. Now that plays such a factor into it. And you look at, you know, how the, the Bucks handled turnovers last year against the Saints in the playoffs. The Chiefs are playing their best football right now. And your point on Travis Kelsey looking to me like a different player than he was earlier in the year. He wasn't separating. He wasn't winning one-on-one. He wasn't, you know, being as consistent in soft zones when he does, you know, find that little pocket of coverage that he does so well, better than anyone in the league. Now he is. Now he is. And then the yards after catch two, getting tackled at the one and then having that game-winning score in overtime, it's all different. It all feels different right now for the Chiefs. And yeah, as, as we keep talking about, as our rankings point out, the AFC is much softer to get there. And especially if the Chiefs have an extra week to prepare and with a bye, goodness gracious, that's scary. Yeah, massive advantage. Now they're all the way up to like 68% chance for a first round bye. So um, yeah, got to make adjustments for uh, the best ball playoffs. I think that they're going to have a bye. And I think that they're going to be uh, one of the teams that you're going to have to have some exposure to. Let's talk about the Chargers. We still believe in the Chargers. We have them as our seventh overall team. In fact, this 236 and two touchdown game from Justin Herbert does not outline, again, how good he was. We got Keen Allen back for this game, but he was making Jalen Guyton, Josh Palmer, a bunch of other players. I mean, they had opportunities because they kept going for it, you know, three or four times and fourth down, six times, I believe, in total. Where on that first drive, a pass that was three inches closer to Jared Cook, you know, this would be a totally different discussion and narrative. And so I think you and I both understand from a team perspective from the Chargers, this is not a roster from top to bottom at every single position that can probably match up with the best teams in the NFL. They have legit deficiencies at multiple spots, especially when your left tackle and Rashawn Slater is out of this game. So, when we isolate it to just this, and while from a big picture view, it is in Brandon Staley's DNA to be aggressive. We talked about it on this show multiple times this season. You can love him for it when it works against the Browns, and that's why they win a game when both teams score 30 or 40 points. Other occasions this year, it worked, and I wanted them to be more aggressive in losses that turned into wins because of those fourth down decisions. I'm totally cool because I love it when he goes three for three on fourth downs as much as I love him when they go two for six. Yeah, I mean, and I think that it was just, they knew what they were up against on defense when they were missing so many of their secondary. Like this is another team that suddenly all of a sudden had lots of injuries on the back end. So they were going to be super aggressive. And a lot of it was just the drops like Mike Williams on the first possession, obviously with Donald Parham, uh, we're glad that he's doing much better now. 
there was a batted ball at the goal line. There was a lot of things. Remember the the, the Josh Kelly fumble at the goal line. So like right. there was a lot of things. Uh, not having left tackle obviously mattered a little bit too. Um, that went against the Chargers, but even with all of those mistakes, they basically had as good of a shot of beating the Chiefs um, as as you can possibly have had with all the mistakes they made. And that's just because what Justin Herbert was able to do, the scrambling for the touchdown, um, he made, uh, um, I think it was Melvin Ingram, uh, with a, uh, he had a free rush um, at Herbert, made him mess for another touchdown. I mean, there was the missile to Keenan Allen, um, in the red zone for a touchdown. I mean, he's just so good. Uh, the team was able to run the ball um, a little bit. They That was clearly an advantage that they thought they had. So I think that the Chargers, when they get a little bit healthier, they're a team to watch. I think this team's very good. I, I don't even think it's that egregious um, to call them the second or third best team in the entire uh, conference after like the Colts and maybe maybe the Bills. I think they're that good. Right. Again, I do not care if a fourth down equation says, hey, go for it 57% of the time versus 51% of the time. When your best players are on offense, by far, on this roster, when defensively in the second half you don't have Derwin James and you're getting roasted by Travis Kelsey, these were all, other than I would say, bypassing a field goal at the end of the first half. To me, I'm on board with all of the other decisions in this scenario, especially, again, when you consider the Chargers were 9 for 13 on fourth downs in wins this season and 4 for 8 in losses. It's not just the success rate of it. It's the willingness to do it. And I am so for Brandon Saley as he continues to hopefully groom and improve his roster in his image and what they want this team to be, then... These scenarios, when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert who can make plays inside and outside of structure, make throws in tight windows that other quarterbacks cannot, all for living and dying by this because you play to win. As a very old school coach to say, said, once said, you play to win. You not play for overtime. You not play to tie. You want to be up on the scoreboard. And all, like you said, it would be a much different scenario that Joshua Kelly fumbles on third and short, and also the same drive where they went for it on fourth down to get into that opportunity, right? So a lot of these touchdowns that they even have had this season have been set up by being aggressive on these occasions. And remember, we have to count the fourth downs that convert, too. They weren't 0 for 3 on fourth down conversions. They were 2 for 5 because they got the sneak and uh, I think an, an out route to Cook for the two. I mean, and they should have they should have had at least one more or two more that should have converted but just bad, um, bad results, which is like, and I would good never process bad results. What can you I, I would never be a stickler for like, oh, the percentage says five percent to go for it in this scenario more than it would say. Like, just be aggressive when you've been doing it all year. Like, I just feel like when people got on him, it's because they hadn't watched the Chargers all year long. Because this is a topic you and I have talked about in the show a lot. They need to be more aggressive in games that they weren't. Because yeah. of who, where the talent was on the team. And then again, just go back to, to the game against the, the Browns. They won that game because they were aggressive on fourth downs. If only universally, Hayden, when teams didn't convert, they kicked the field goals in those scenarios. And when they win, when they did convert, you know, they score touchdowns. It's that simple. Yeah, it's that simple. All right. Let's start with the Dallas Cowboys because they basically had a bye week against the New York Giants. They're number four here. The Cowboys are on our list. I guess we got to speed it up at some point. Um, 
I know that Dak Prescott only has 217 yards and a score on his name for this game, but I thought that this was the closest to early season Dak throws that we've seen since early season Dak Prescott. I mean, there was a third and four in the second quarter that he drifted left and fired to CeeDee Lamb on a full sprint to the left sideline. A third and six conversion in the mid-third quarter rifled down the middle of the field to Dalton Schultz. None of it is perfectly aligning at every single level, running game, passing game, defense. Right now you're seeing the defense consistently disrupt and make plays, and that gives me faith that the offense with both sides of that you know, onslaught, it will also align hopefully once we reach the playoffs. Yeah, Trevon Diggs' interception to Marcus Lawrence was probably the player of the game. Uh, he had a win inside that deflected for an interception. He had the punch out against Saquon here. I think for the Cowboys on offense, I didn't really see too many big issues. I think that Dak Prescott's box score was um, hurt by three drops from CeeDee Lamb, which is really rare for him. Uh, a couple of those came arguably because of the sun, uh, but that was a lot of yards uh, left on the field. I think that the big thing I had was the Cowboys, it was a third and seven in the red zone. They decided to run the ball up the middle. That led to a fourth and five, and then they kicked a 26-yard field goal. Like, why are yeah. you running on third and seven if you're not going or at least planning to go for that on fourth down? And then going into halftime, uh, Dalton Schultz catches the ball at the eight-yard line with like nine to nine or ten seconds left in the game. The Cowboys have a timeout. Instead of calling a timeout from the eight-yard line to give your chance to throw up a one-on-one ball to Amari Cooper on the next play, they opt to wait, let the clock drain out to – uh, three seconds and then kick the, the field goal. So this is like the Cowboys not being aggressive. And that's kind of a McCarthy thing. I think it's something to uh, to look out for. But I think the offense was was routinely moving the ball um, and they were like barely missing on um, some trick plays. And then the lamb drops. I think that all that stuff was holding back a box score. But I think that Dak Prescott like looked totally fine to me this game. Yeah, Three field goals and one touchdown in the first half. I mean, all those field goal drives can can be converted. Um, Zico Elliott, 52 yards, 16 carries. Tony Pollard, 74 yards and 12 carries. So much discourse of Tony Pollard heading into this game on how much usage he would get. He looked explosive, as usual. I mean, he had two early third down conversions, uh, getting to the edge as well. And it sounds like his 25 to 29 snaps is going to sound good. He'll just be limited in practice every single week before he heads into games now. Yeah, I think this is going to be the split. They're going to use Zeke on all the power stuff. He he's not explosive, like definitely not. But that touchdown knee, run, but he still runs with power, man. Like yep. that is like a lot of those like third and threes were converted just because of how strong he is. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a fire and ice situation. If I were the Cowboys, I'd be giving Pollard more touches and let Zeke rest up. But Zeke is offering them something, even if he's not explosive. Uh, there was definitely a couple of plays where he was converting first downs like solely because of his power. Getting 11 in Micah Parsons, 94, Reddy Gregory, and 90 in Demarcus Lawrence on the field at the same time in like third and five plus obvious passing down situations Scary. is such a serious advantage because you get two on the edge, one on the interior against heavy footed offensive linemen. That edge pressure is going to make the quarterback climb the pocket no matter what. Or if he tries to escape out, then one is also going to chase him down uh, with terrific closing speed and then when he's forced to climb up then you have that one player again against interior offensive arm that cannot mirror him to convert and make the sack i mean those three together is so 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 dangerous and it changed the scope of the entire success 
of the defense. And while, you know, they might give up points to some teams, I can count on that trio, two of them out of the three in every single game to make a potential game changing turnover or game changing sack turnover on downs, whatever it is. It's awesome. It's so fun to see. Yep. And they have their skill guys ready to go now. So this is, this team has a massive, massive ceiling. I think it might be my favorite team in Whoa. the gauntlet for, for oh. best ball playoffs. Um, I, I mean, they're one of my favorite teams to watch. Certainly I'll say that for the playoffs as well, too. Yeah. They smack the giants quickly on the giants. And my only comment after losing 21 to six here, I cannot tell the current difference between Saquon Barkley and Devonte Booker. In fact, a lot of the gear that they wear is exactly the same. Yes. So I really can't see who was running until the replay shows if it's a six or an eight next to the two on their jersey. So while that's one comment aesthetically, the other comment is talent-wise. I don't know if that's more of a criticism of where Saquon is at right now coming off an in-season injury and obviously off-season surgery or a positive for what Devontae Booker looks like in a new organization and a new team right now? Their numbers, if you look at the last Identical. two years, Saquon's versus Booker, and I'll, I'll even throw in Wayne Gallman. He is getting, I mean, like a, a half yard, a full yard less per carry, and the yards per target is about the same between all those backs. He just doesn't look right to me. They're, I was showing this screen where it, it, they actually went back-to-back screens, and it's just like the burst. Like he made a couple guys miss early on. He had that still insane, I mean, absolutely crazy one-handed catch behind him. But like the the actual burst, it's just not there. And I think part part of that's because he has very few running lanes behind this offensive line. But it's the sample's getting bigger and bigger where he's just not ripping off those chunk gains and obviously like injuries this year and in previous years. Um, hopefully that's not like a long-term issue. And this is kind of just short-term as he's battling through this ankle sprain, but I don't know. I did not like to watch that. Sterling Shepard tore his Achilles. Jake Fromm came in for the final five-ish minutes and basically threw as many passing yards as Mike Lennon had for the entire game. At five, LA Rams face off on Tuesday against Seattle Seahawks. Rams are nine and four right now. They're five in our power ranking. Seattle Seahawks are 22nd. So now let's stay in the NFC West, Hayden. Talk about the Arizona Cardinals, who drop from the top three all the way down to number six. And while so much of the conversation was focused around the loss of DeAndre Hopkins heading into this one, that should not be the entire explainer for a 30-12 to loss to the one-win Detroit Lions team. Because what stood out to me, and I understand that it was just for 112 yards through Craig Reynolds, but we've talked about it at points all season long. The run fits for the Cardinals can be abysmal. And we highlighted it ahead of their game, I think, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And James Robinson went off for a bunch of fantasy points. It came back to fruition in a really, really bad way this week. So that's on the defensive line. And without Rodney Hudson along the offensive line, there were a whole bunch of miscues when the Lions muddied the defensive line group and missed blocks and missed shifts, all that kind of stuff. And it left this Cardinals offense just lost from the absolute start. Yeah, the offense, I want to talk about them in a second. Obviously, losing DeAndre Hopkins is a huge deal. But nobody was talking about Rob, Robert Alford going on injured reserve. He might be out for the year, possibly too. And we're talking about how uh decimated the secondary can get they were really banking on robert alford who was having a 
awesome season coming off major injuries. But without him, it's like Marco Wilson, who teams have been picking on. And I think that's something to watch in the secondary. Uh, one of the the better pass passing EPA defenses. I'm not sure if that's going to be able to hold up. A lot of this is going to be on Chandler Jones. They, lo- they lose J.J. Watt already. I don't know. There's a lot of injuries, and I think that's some of the the run defense stuff I think is worth monitoring. I don't think that this, like, I think they've been top five in most of the stats on defense. I'm not sure if that's going to hold up. They're just, they're just losing too many players. Right. And that's not even talking about DeAndre Hopkins on the other side and, of the ball. And I think that that's been really well coached all season. Long. Yes. So many, and often that can turn good players into great players, average players into good players, being the right position, playing fast. And that's the credit to the coaching staff that they've put together on that side of the ball. But again, here in the final three weeks, after what Craig Reynolds, favorite player from Kutztown ever, favorite player, tough, tough to decide on him, but I'm, I'm going to give him that label. Indianapolis Colts, Dallas Cowboys, Seattle Seahawks to end the final three. And so if you show those negatives to enter the playoffs, then teams most likely are going to have really good. Re- I mean, you look at the Packers. We just talked about the Cowboys. The Bucs can run on you as well. Like these are the top opponents, the 49ers that you might get in the first round of the playoffs too. Good luck. Like once you show a negative, it's going to be hammered until you show you can stop it. And that's my biggest, biggest fear because we've seen it pop up at times this season. Yeah. To start the game, they're the first 27 plays. 24 of them were Lions plays. It was 24 to three to start the game. They did not have the ball until late. There was a couple of plays that Kyler just straight up missed. There was oh, a yeah. third and five crossing route that Kirk, uh, Christian Kirk had wide open that he couldn't see. Um, I thought this was one of probably Kyler's worst games of the year. And they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do with this wide receiver core. Uh, yesterday, it was Christian Kirk playing every single down. Anton Wesley, Wesley had uh, the second most routes at 44, then AJ Green at 36, then Rondale Moore at 17. So, um, they're they're refusing to let Rondell Moore win downfield. A lot of his plays were still behind uh, the line of scrimmage. He had one on the third and nine where he chipped the DN and then just ran to the flats. Like that is not the type of route that you like to see um, from your second round pick. They had a running back draw on him as well. So um, there's a couple plays that they could have had to keep this game closer, but this was just a really bad performance. And it's really weird to see that Wesley finished second in routes. He had a bad game, I thought, just in general. Yeah, I kind of want to throw this whole offensive game out on some level, but then part of me also is concerned because of the absence of Ronnie Hudson, just not you know, flipping blocks, not blocking in the correct direction. Like there was, they didn't shift the offensive line correctly in that third and three. The right side dropped out from the Lions defensive front, so that allows a free rusher all from Charles Harris, and then Kyler can't spin out and he gets a tackle on him and it's a sack. And then when it was a potential place for this team to get back into it, after they got a fumble back down 17 to three, Kyler immediately throws an interception, then boom, you're down by 24. So like that is a moment too that previous earlier this year might have worked out in their favor and they might have crawled back into it to a 17 to 10, but it didn't work out in this one. Just didn't work out in this one. Yep. Anything else you want to say about them before we move on to the Lions, who are playing hard, man? The 29th ranked Detroit Lions. This was one of those Jared Goff games that makes people Jared Goff believers. It was very reminiscent of Who's the a Jared Los Goff Angeles believer? Rams. Who, who are a lot these of people? people. Who? I mean, I haven't seen them. 
You've seen it for years, though. I'm not just saying this year, but this is one of those vintage LA Rams under Sean McVay games where off play action, hit your back foot, rifle it in there through a window, and boom, your wide receiver gets open. Like just movement, play action, creating creases, and he does throw a really pretty ball. That's what made people believers in him with the Rams. And we got to see it here against the Cardinals. It was, and then there was even one moment where he was moved off of his spot and he was able to convert on that long touchdown throw. Yep. Yep. I mean, the, the big story here outside of Craig Reynolds and just like pulling off the upset was Amon Ross St. Brown. And we talked about this recently, how his role has changed. And that is exactly what happened here. He's become the focal point of this offense, like period, like it's him right now. And they used him in a lot of cool ways. Not only is he playing in three wide receiver sets where he's playing a lot in the slot, which is a win, but also he's playing in one wide receiver sets and two wide receiver sets. He's basically not coming off the field. And even beyond that, they're drawing up so many plays for him. Like it's not just sitting in zone or winning one-on-one routes on the, on the perimeter. He had a running back draw. He had an, an option route from the backfield. He had a fast three, which just means like you're in motion from the running back spot running straight to the flats immediately when the ball snaps. That was a fourth and one. He caught that for a first down. He had another backfield option route, which is one-on-one against a linebacker. Then they had that his touchdown was a leak route where he wheeled up the the sideline for an easy touchdown there. So that's like legitimately six or seven plays designed for him with nobody else in mind. And I think that he's showing some uh, decent athleticism and he has the literally the nut role slot receiver snaps in three wide receiver sets, but you're not coming off the field in two wide receiver sets and you're getting the design stuff. Like I think Amon Ross St. Brown is here to stay like for the rest of the season. Hawkins is out for the year. I'm guessing that Swift's not going to come back at this point. Like it's him and it's just him right now. I think it's really cool to see. Yeah. His pick of minds are a lot of fun on Sundays too, because it's so much baked into previous production. He just doesn't have that much until the last couple of weeks. Final note on Craig Reynolds. He made an awesome run. Number 95, who's one of the, let's say, girthiest Cardinals defensive linemen, probably outweighs him by 120 pounds. Big size. Uh, Tries to wrap him up two yards behind the line of scrimmage on a third and two. Reynolds spins out of it and converts the first down. Look, we can all be realistic and say that Craig Reynolds is getting this opportunity because of no Jamal Williams, no DeAndre Swift. But again, it's so cool in these moments for this player who's a total unknown to step up and look better than any running back the Ravens have put out there on the field all season long. You know, better than a lot of backs that are getting touches out there. And to me, you know, it's allowed him, afforded him a second contract in the NFL after this futures deal, whatever he's on, ends up. It's always weird to see like a player that hasn't played and then you start seeing him in December and like his legs have to be so much fresher than all the other running backs. Like yeah, when you see him, you're like, true. wow, he's actually moving pretty well. He doesn't have a knee brace on and all that other stuff. So yeah, really cool story for, for Craig Reynolds. Um, very curious to see what they do when Jamal Williams comes back. I'm sure that it's just going to be Jamal Williams show um, because they have him. I was looking at, I mean, I'm a sicko. I'm starting my 2022 best ball rankings right now. I'm looking through all the contracts. And Jamal Williams is signed through next year. So I'm guessing he's going to come back and kind of spoil the party. But either way, yeah, cool story for Craig. We just talked about it with so many of these teams. All the injuries pile up. The Lions have a ton of injuries. A ton. And they just keep battling. I mean, their defense on paper has to be the worst in the NFL. But they're just flying around the field. So credit They got a, a little corner breakout uh, on, the, on the edge 
Uh, made some pretty big Try plays. Try to say it. Amani uh, or yeah, I'm I'm gonna fail. Go watch the tape. <laughs> number twenty four. We talked about it. number seven was the Chargers. So number eight is another team off the loss. That's the New England Patriots for us. Twenty seven to seventeen loss on Thursday night football. No Saturday night football. Excuse me. Or was it Saturday Night Football on Thursday? Whatever these networks try to brand it as. So, what do we take here from this Patriots loss? They're nine and five. Mac Jones, two ninety nine, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Your general thoughts from a game like this that went an unexpected direction, being down seventeen to nothing to the Colts. Yeah, it happened just so fast that what the Patriots wanted to do was just like clearly not going to work. Uh, running the ball and I don't know I didn't really learn that much from it because the game didn't feel that close from the get-go I think I was more impressed with the Colts more so than like really worried about the Patriots I do think like some of the models I had like Patriots number one overall or something I think that there's a little bit too much optimism and I think we always have to remember like Mac Jones he's fine but he's still probably what the 16th 18th 19th best quarterback in the league this year and there's a, a ceiling here that's a little bit concerning on the offensive side of the ball, um, especially if they're not going to be playing at home in the playoffs. So um, they're clearly just missing speed. Like Nelson Aguilar left halfway through this game, and I was looking at like all their their forty times, like Kendrick Bourne, Nikhil Harry, uh, Hunter Henry. Like I mean, there's just no speed on the roster if, if Nelson Aguilar's out there, and it's like very concerning to see like how hard it is for them to move the ball downfield and i think a little bit of that's a mac issue a little bit of that was the left tackle missing a bunch of blocks and i think a lot of it just comes down to it there's still a an off season away maybe a first round receiver away from like actually i think being like a legit contender in the afc people might think that this is a dumb statement but this game showed me that the patriots trust mac jones more than the Colts do with Carson Wentz went up on the scoreboard. Um, I understand that like that can be weird to say after the game against the Bills when they just attempt three passes, but consider the context and how the Patriots were dominating on the ground. Because in this game, and I know it was tons of negative game script, but there were chances for the Patriots to make this into an even tighter game. In fact, alternate universe potentially win this game, and that was on the heels of 45 passing attempts for 299 yards. This is not who the Patriots want to be. Obviously, they will rarely throw two interceptions. One that was an incredible play by Bobby Okereke, uh, and also a block punt. You think Bill Belichick is going to let his special yep. teams have another turn? No, not for the rest of the season. So, this was also a game without Damian Harris. And like the sack that Isaiah Wynn gave up to DeForest Buckner one-on-one, I don't know. I didn't pick up a lot here other than, hey, in a negative game script scenario, the Patriots are not built for that. One, not many teams are across the league. But two, like his connection with Hunter Henry is fantastic. Something absolutely to monitor, monitor going into 2022. And I, I was impressed. I was kind of impressed by Mac Jones. When you flip it to the other side with the Colts, who we have at number nine here, Hayden, Certainly was not impressed by Carson Wentz when playing with a lead who after his, what, interception, they ask him to throw the ball one or two times the rest of the game. Five completions on the day in a perfect ideal scenario just for 49 yards. That is not winning play. Yeah, I mean, he's five for 12 for 57 yards. It was just pathetic, really. Um, 
the most pathetic thing from this game was getting Michael Pittman ejected for that. I was, I mean, that really cost some people their fantasy matchups. That was super tilting. I thought the Patriots defense did a really good job. Um, Jonathan Taylor obviously had the 67 yard touchdown, which was an amazing cutback. Uh, Donta Hightower probably filled that gap. Uh, and Jason poorly. McCourty. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely a uh, issue on the Patriots end too. But before that, they were doing a very good job slowing down Jonathan Taylor. Um, but you can only slow down somebody that good for so long. So this Colts defense um, kind of hit and miss. Like, like you said, I thought that Mac Jones played a fine game. I think he's a fine quarterback right now. Um, I think the Colts and the Patriots are kind of in a similar spot where, yes, they're good enough. They should be in the playoffs. We should, uh, they can win a game or two, but I don't know. I'm not sold on this offense yet as like Super Bowl contenders. Like, how are they going to go against the Chiefs? Like, I just, I can't buy it. Someone take a shot because we're going to talk regression again. Again, we've talked about it on the player level with Jamar Chase and his deep shots earlier this season. We just talked about it in this show with the Baltimore Ravens winning or losing close games. Regression at some point is going to hit this Colts defense with how many turnovers. They already led the NFL in turnovers prior to this week. They had another two, and if you block, if you count the block punt, then that's three on, on top of that. I think you can coach these things in terms of league-wide. We're seeing more and more defenses hold up running backs so other defenders can come in and punch the ball out or try to rip it out. The game is slowing down for defenders in those moments versus what it used to be. But just the luck that they have in their favor week in and week out right now, when you isolate it for single games, you can't predict turnovers like that. You just can't do it. So for a season, you can be one of the most advantageous teams. But then when we get to the playoffs, relying on this to set you up for positive scenarios when your quarterback only has to throw for 57 yards. And one of those is, you know, that forward pitch on the reverse that he got from Jonathan Taylor for the touchdown to Naeem Hines. Come on. Give me a break. That's not a winning formula. Dude, the missed throw to Michael Pittman early on in the game, that would have been, what, a 60-yard touchdown? Like, that was just so tilting. Carson Wentz, like, if you look at, like, PFF, they have, like, turnover-worthy throws and all that stuff. His interceptions to, like, turnover-worthy throws rate is, like, out of control lucky. So I, I don't know how long this is going to last. I'm not sure if we're missing something here, but I'm kind of with you. The Colts are a very good team, very well-thought-out team. Um Wentz is playing better than we all would have expected, but I, I think they're still missing. Like there's something that they just don't have. I think it's just probably just quarterback play. And let's think about this game because the rest of the season it's at the Cardinals who they will once again, rely on their running game, then the Raiders and then the Jaguars to close out the season and to the playoffs. So we might not get a scenario where Carson Wentz has to win you or get you back into a game until the playoffs roll around. But also while that is a negative credit to Frank Reich for knowing his quarterback, someone that has played his best ball underneath that coach and knowing when is the right time to pull all the responsibility off of you and play a tight game, bleed the clock uh, game plan. And that's what they did. That's what they did. All right. Buffalo Bills time. Absolute snooze fest against the Panthers winning 31 to 14. Not the Bills fault necessarily. One headline for me, Hayden was this was Gabriel Davis's first two touchdown game of his career. Third and 12 from the 20-yard line. The Panthers had early on done a fantastic job of hitting Josh Allen. They would kind of rush through or rush four, have one of the really athletic linebackers kind of spy him. And as soon as he drops his eyes and moves out of the pocket and tries to buy some time, that player would close on him. 
Well, I think Josh Allen started picking up on this a little bit. And so when the Panthers did have their three-man rush, again, a third and 12 from the 20, Allen stayed within the confines of the pocket. They kept Dawson Knox in as an extra tight end to block. And he just unleashes a rope to the middle of the field between three Panthers defenders that few, few, few quarterbacks could make that throw. And then obviously the 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 final one was a fourth and two. They basically motioned him in off of play action as an extra blocker and then just leaks out when Stephon Gilmore's attention is in the backfield. So credit to Gabriel Davis for getting his two, his first two touchdown game in the league on top of 85 yards and five catches. Yeah, what he's so good at is just kind of the broken play element. And uh, that's what works so well with Josh Allen, who, like you said, was under a lot of duress. The, the Bills are kind of working things out on the offensive line because of injuries. Um, and Josh Allen's having to create. And I think that's kind of why his numbers are down a little bit. But that skill set that that Gabe Davis has winning in contested situations is going to help him uh, with Josh Allen scrambling a lot. So the routes came in. Diggs, 34 of 38 dropbacks. Gabe Davis also at 34. Cole Beasley down at 24 because they were playing with the lead and didn't use three wide receiver sets as much. But Gabe Davis, definitely a fantasy starter right now with Emmanuel Sanders banged up. And then the other note is Devin Singletary played almost every single snap. Zach Moss was a healthy scratch again. Um, he had a goal line touchdown off the edge. He's going to be, I'm not sure, a top 24 back because they still don't use their running backs very often. But he is a bell cow, just a, a unique bell cow because the Bills are just going to pass the ball at will. I know it's so simple to say, but... It's what we keep repeating with Josh Allen this year versus last year. Just his style of, again, using his athleticism to try to beat a defender one-on-one to make something happen down the field and buy some time. There are a lot of losing outcomes there when you look league-wide at that. And just more of those losing outcomes are hitting this year versus versus last season. Yeah, I think John Feliciano won the starting guards when the COVID list the morning the morning of this game and Spencer Brown at right tackle had a pretty tough contest too, but that's what the Panthers do. That's where they invested so much money in their defensive front. Uh, I guess you got to talk about the Panthers. They're at 26. I literally have nothing to say about this team other than in 2022. It's basically the third straight season. The Panthers have to reinvent themselves offensively, offensively. And what do you have to show for it? You have the talents of Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and Tommy Trimble and Terrace Marshall and Taylor Moten at right tackle. But doing that again for basically the third straight offseason spirals you down into disinteresting and skeptical territory on, on a roster that should that their talent outweighs their their win-loss column. Yeah, just for, for Cam Newton, he had that go ball to DJ Moore that was severely underthrown, and he just yep. has to like cock back that shoulder and even throw it 15 yards right now. He's clearly not capable of that. They got pretty unlucky on some fourth down stuff, uh, fourth and long miss to Willie Sneed man coverage, where Sneed just like didn't get his head turned around. Uh, fourth and one, they tried to throw a, a screen, and I think Brandon Zostra uh, missed a, a block. Um so it really just like the offense is just cam running the ball. I think that cam still looks totally fine um, as a rusher, but the, all the passing stuff is beyond brutal right now. Um, and then like the last note I had was just Terrace Marshall, man, like he's not even playing like that's your second round pick. Like Willie Sneed is playing more. It's, it's egregious. He's like 
fourth or fifth on the depth chart right now. And this isn't a lost season basically at this point. So hopefully they get him on the field a little bit more, but this is just a team that has so many holes and like they have their best players are all in the past game. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, when he gets healthy for next year, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrace Marshall, they're all under contract. Like they have to get a pass first quarterback to maximize uh, this roster next year. And I'm not sure what they're going to do on that front. Uh, they have a lot of holes, like not even talking about, they probably need about five new starters on the yeah. offensive line too. Yeah, no big deal. They just faced the Buccaneers twice in the final three games too. And you go oh, into God. traveling to New Orleans in there as well. So uh, that could be a five and 12 season after starting the season three and oh. Damn. Hot seat. Hot seat, sir. Despite of the money you paid Matt Rule. Yeah, I, the f- I'm not going to say funniest moment. Entertaining moment was Panthers kicker, who's been very good this season, going down during warmups, and then just the highlight reels of everyone from Brandon Zilstra to PJ Walker to Reggie Bonifon trying out kicks in uh, pregame warmups was, uh, yes, entertaining is the word we'll use. We'll use for that one. All right, before we move on, I know it's been a long show. We're going to keep rolling. Appreciate everyone that's here. Like and subscribe while you're while you're tuning in, checking us out live, checking us out afterwards. We appreciate all of you still on the trail to 10,000 subs. And again, these two game slates that we have tonight on Monday and on Tuesday, the perfect time for pick them, the perfect time for pick them. So go deposit anything. We'll match it. Use promo code the show for your first time deposit. San Francisco 49ers continue their winning streak. I think it's a streak. Eight and six on the season, being the Atlanta Falcons 31 to 13. George Kittle, 93 yards. Debo Samuel, back to his receiving way, 60 yards. Brandon Ayuk, 36 yards. And yes, Jeff Wilson at 110 yards. This was not a fair fight. Falcons defense is patently awful. But it's good to see a game that San Francisco might have struggled with early on the season win it decisively now in the later part of the year. Yeah, Jimmy is just still playing relatively well and throwing the balls over the middle of the field and letting George Kittle, who had another fantastic game, they're getting the Debo Samuel regression model breaker um, out of the backfield for another 10-yard rushing touchdown off the perimeter, um, getting him in the screen game a little bit. Brandon Ayuk with a red zone target. I mean, this team's just stacked everywhere. Like Even they get Kyle Juszczyk on a fullback dive for on third and one for a touchdown. So, yeah, this, this offense is ready to go. Still a little bit concerned about the 49ers defense outside of Fred Warner and Nick Bosa. Uh, their secondary still, I think, a little bit of a weak spot, but this team deserves to be in the playoffs. Very interesting offense. And um, I think that Jimmy G, for all of his faults, yes, he misses some throws, all that stuff, has a couple interceptions. He's kind of perfect for this offense right now and just kind of distributing the ball. And he's good enough to at least throw the ball to Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Yeah. 397 total yards. The 49ers went out there Uh, on the defensive side. Nick Bosa, as you alluded to, has been unreal, unreal this season. But they've kind of coached up Arden Key to be this really nice pass rushing role player out there. And remember when, you know, San Francisco went to deep into the playoffs and in the Super Bowl, you had the duo of. DeForest Buckner and Ark Armstead and a few other pass rushing pieces there. And so having a third or with Armstead here and Arden Key could uh could do wonders for them, generating a bunch, a bunch of disruption. 
um, frisky. Frisky team is the right way to define the San Francisco 49ers, and I really want them. I really do want them to uh, to be in the playoffs. Okay, another end. Atlanta Falcons at 25. I mean, I have so many rants here to go on, but I really wish they would allow Cal Pitts to make the plays he does in the fourth quarter in the first quarter because this usage that he's getting when they're near the goal line, Lee Smith is going out for pass routes. Cal Pitts is either not on the field or stuck in and pass protection. I'm not, I'm no head coach. Arthur Smith has been very successful during his time, but a little microcosm of maybe the lack of success that the Falcons have had this year at six and eight to me should be all outlined of why they took Cal Pitts at number four and why he's not being utilized in those scenarios. And maybe it's just something that we do not know about that. Arthur Smith is not comfortable with that type of player in those key scenarios. I'm going to fight you on this. I thought they used him terrifically uh, in the early on. They had him kind of leak behind the the line of scrimmage for like a designed catch in the red zone. He got tackled at the one yard line. There was a on the fourth and one. I believe it was a quick out to Kyle Pitts that they just missed him on uh, in the two minute drill. They had a deep ball down the, the sideline, like way down the sideline that in, that went incomplete. And then like towards the end, there's that one, like that Lee Smith. That was Lee Smith against Fred Warner. Like I, I'm not going to fight you on that. Like that is not the matchup you want to be drawing. But a couple of the other times, it was just zone coverage, and it was very clear that the 49ers were doing everything to kind of stop him. Um, so yeah, it was it was super frustrating. A lot of these games just like so close for Kyle Pitts, and you'd like him to see a couple uh, bigger plays. But I don't think everything falls on him. The uh, Matt Ryan was under a lot of pressure, like. Matt Ryan's too old to be taking this many hits. Like he took a lot of oh, really big brutal. shots. Yeah. And there was like delay of games. There was false starts. Or I'm not sure if there's delay of games, but there was false starts and a bunch of that nonsense. So uh Matt Ryan's super frustrated as he should be because this offensive line is doing him no favors. The only favor that he got was the two catches that Russell Gage had. I mean, my goodness, the one that went for a touchdown uh was the one that's gonna be on the uh sports center highlight reels. But he also had another jump ball on first down. He's kind of been playing better than I would have thought. Um, so with his usage, I mean, when we do the usage show tomorrow, I mean, he's going to be probably like top 20 usage over the last month. And I think that he's certainly um, a starter right now. So Lee Smith has two fewer red zone catches this season than Cal Pitts does. Sure. Cal Pitts has three red zone catches this entire year. That's where I come down on this where Arthur Smith, we talked about this heading into the year, a lot of his play calling mixed with the personnel led him to be the number one and number two offensive play caller in terms of red zone touchdown success. I think all of us believed, and sure, Calvin really not being on this team heading like for the vast majority of the season has been a major downturn and, and burn for this offense. But Cal Pitts needs to be a focal point there. We see other play callers around the league isolate those players and get them into advantageous positions. And it's just not aligning right now for Arthur Smith, Matt Ryan, and Kyle Pitts. I mean, three red zone receptions this entire season so far. That's not good enough. That's simply not good enough. Yeah, I mean, it's just so tough. Like, it was so obvious that, like, Fred Warner was, like, crashing down on him. And I I, I partially hear you. I think my biggest concern with Arthur Smith is just how bad this offensive line is playing. Like he was always getting the best out of those units in Tennessee. And I think that's kind of something that 
the Falcons are going to have to figure out because it just they can't run the ball effectively uh, outside of like some Cordell Patterson like just pitches, and they can't hold up Matt Ryan at all. And Matt Ryan, I think, I think, has been playing decent this year, and it just hasn't mattered because the offensive line has just been so so bad. Okay, let's keep it moving. Cincinnati Bengals we have here at number twelve. They faced off against the Denver Broncos, who we have at seventeen. Bengals pick up a win, fifteen to ten. As we expected, zero deep shots, successful ones to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins on the outside. And in fact, the moment that changed the entire game was a 56-yard touchdown, basically, to Tyler Boyd, which was leak. I'm not sure what you call yep. it, slot leak. But everyone else running down the field and then him running wide open. Um, Bengals can be frustrating on a weekly basis to watch, but again, these narrow wins is kind of how Zach Taylor has built the operation this season. It's still just so brutal, man. Like it's just so frustrating. Even like Jamar Chase, 46, 46 yard catch that got called back on a hold. Um, they're not using Joe Mixon on passing downs. Like Samaj P run kept coming in on third and four, third and 15, third and 15. P run is playing the two minute drill. So we didn't get the Joe Mixon usage. Uh, Mixon left with an ankle sprain late in the game, went to the locker room for a second. But weirdly, he came back in when like the last play of the game was a kneel down for the Bengals, and Joe Mixon was on the field for that. So hopefully that's a sign that's not that big of a deal. Um, if it is a big deal, Samaj P. Ryan is going to be the one that's going to be playing on early downs, and they've been playing him in the two-minute warning. So Piran would be at least a speculative ad if he's available. But yeah, just in general, this team's just so slow, so frustrating to watch because you can tell if they went full pedal to the floor how explosive this offense can be. But right now, it's just like super inconsistent. We'll give credit to Joe Burrow. Had some really good third-down scrambles. There was a third-and-three scramble for a first down. Another one on first and 10 where he gets five yards. Uh, and then gets an extra 15 yards because he got face masks. There was another one later that was a third and six. I think that has been a so, like a concern for not just him as an individual, but also Zach Taylor at times, understanding how he would handle the contact in the pocket because he's not as mobile as he used to. And in fact, we've talked about games when kind of you get confined in the pocket, he'd look a bit confused and spin and drop his eyes and fall to the ground. But this was a really, really positive case for Joe Burrow to find some time and, and, and create on his own. And, and it, again, it wasn't just avoiding sacks. It was then picking up yards to gain first downs when everyone was dropping to prevent the big plays down the field. Yeah. I think Joe Burrow looks totally fine uh, as a yeah. scrambler, which I think they should just like let him rip uh, down the stretch. Yeah. The Broncos, I mean, they are the frustrating team to watch. They just play so slow. I mean, Jerry Judy can't get involved. Cortland Sutton couldn't get involved. He had two, um drops i mean a really Cortland had a really brutal third and two drop um he almost had an end uh end zone touchdown way downfield but that was deflected he could have probably got his hands up for that um javante williams making splash plays melvin gordon still looks good uh he started each half still but i don't know this team's just so sloppy and slow at times on offense it's hard to watch and i think that we're going to get drew lock here at least for the next game or two with teddy bridgewater leaving with a concussion just I mean, the Drew Locke stuff was bad. Like, he just got a fumble ripped right from him on zone read. I've never seen, like, a defensive end didn't even try to tackle him, just, like, literally just stole the ball from him. 
I don't know. This offense might even get worse for the next yeah. game or two. Yeah, Drew Locke might have played his way out of a uh, offseason Ian Harditz highlight reel that he puts together on on Twitter. That's, that's tough how to do. I know. That's tough that, to do. That, that's how bad the the performance was for for Drew Locke. And look, when you play slow, when you rely on the running game, when you rely on good defensive play to prevent big plays, you have to nail down situational football. And Vic Fangio did not do that in this game. He took a timeout with about 2.43 left instead of letting it wind down to 2.11 to then take the timeout. He erased 40 seconds on the clock, basically. That would have come after the two-minute warning and instead just shockingly used his his timeout out of nowhere when he didn't need to, when he didn't need to. And that's just not understanding the moment and being prepared for it in in that moment. It's easy for us to say on the sideline, but it was an immediate thing. And uh, he didn't, he didn't see an issue with it on the field. So can't lose because 40 seconds is a huge chunk, potentially win it. And you basically, you know, take an opportunity away from your team despite the way you play. Okay. Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago bears play later on. They're at 13 and 27 for us, respectively. Philadelphia Eagles, Washington football team at 14 and 23 as well. So we'll jump to the losing Tennessee Titans against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers win 19 to 13, but let's first focus in on the Titans. Hayden talk about not being able to protect your quarterback 153 yards on 32 passing attempts here for Ryan Tannehill four sacks. In fact, they have over 200 rushing yards in this game. And it's all about the lack of success that they can have throwing the football. Because one, A.J. Brown is out. Two, Julio Jones leaves this game mid-game. Three, the offensive line is far worse pass protectors than they are run blockers. And four, are you really going to have to and rely on Ryan Tannehill to carry you in those situations? And that's why they're so far down the list for us, despite being nine and five. Who's good on their offense, man? Like, it's... Nobody like Ryan Tannehill is a fine quarterback would love to have him, but he's not like the difference making carry your team on the back type of quarterback. And I, I saw a tweet about AJ Brown status and coming back. I think he's eligible to come off injured reserve this week. That's still very TBD. We haven't heard any updates about AJ Brown um, and Julio Jones probably out for the year. So this team is just, they're kind of a zombie. They're going to be in the playoffs just based off of their odds, most likely. But I don't know. This team, I just don't think has, there's too devastated on both sides of the ball. And their secondary is just one that can be had against a uh, good passing offenses. The Steelers of which are not. Yeah. It would be shocking for them to be frisky in the playoffs. Like Derek Henry would have to come back. AJ Brown have to come back in a big way because right now in the current iteration of it, it's just so tough. So tough. They just don't have enough firepower to, to keep up with these other teams throughout the league right yeah. now. And it helps when TJ Watt and Joe Hayden come back and are barreling down your face. Okay, let's talk about those Pittsburgh Steelers at 21 because I know they win, but man, Ben Roethlisberger has 148 passing yards. Najee Harris has 18 total rushing yards on 12 carries. Deontay Johnson doesn't have a single catch that travels more, I believe, than five yards down the field. Pat Fryermuth leads with a concussion. Like, again, you get a victory. Congratulations. It's built on your defense, creating three fumbles. But man, oh man, the Steelers are 
non-existent in terms of entertainment land. Yeah, you can't watch this game. Uh, Chase Claypool, who's probably, I think, in my opinion, the most fun player on this team. He had um, 17 routes on 28 dropbacks. And when Deontay played all of them, Ray Ray McLeod had 22, then Chase Claypool at 17, and then James Washington came in there and played on the 11 of those dropbacks too. So, yeah, Chase Claypool just, I guess he got like semi-benched here is basically what, what happened. And he's been kind of rotating drives with James Washington for like the last month. So I don't know if that's like, off the field issues, if that's on the field issues, if he's just not as good as we thought coming in. But like right now, their entire offense is just like shallow drag to Deontay Johnson and then like Najee Harris for four yards per carry. It's just like, yeah, you can't watch it. Yeah, I don't want to live here. Like if Deontay Johnson was playing with a capable quarterback and a capable offense, we would see his routes all over the place. And here, it's to the right side and less than five yards. And not fun. Just simply not fun. 16 Cleveland Browns. We know they play very shortly against the Las Vegas Raiders, who are 25 on our list. So let's go to the Miami Dolphins at number 18, who did play on Sunday. A nice, nice victory for Miami, who put themselves in a hole, but are able to come back against the Jets. 31 to 24. Well, if we lost Josh, I'm going to take over, and I'm going to talk about how this was a very concerning game for Tua. Um, his first Four. interception to a, his first interception was an underthrown out route where he was just staring down um, his uh, receiver that went for a pick six. That was an absolutely brutal play by Tua. He had a couple hospital balls over the middle, uh, a couple that should have been interceptions that didn't show up in the box score. He had a rollout um, to his left and he could have had a long touchdown and he severely underthrew this pass. Um, that was also almost intercepted too. And then like, even on like the, the short yardage in comes Jacoby Brissett. So I don't know without Jalen Waddle here, it's tough to see how this team's going to move the ball. Um, all that efficient, uh, efficiently, like this was the jets and like, yeah, they had some decent numbers overall, but there was a lot of plays that Tua went just like, okay, time to create something. It was just not there. Like, I still think he's accurate, but the other stuff, this was just a game where just like, man, you kind of see some of the bad stuff with them. I'll let you be bad cop and I'll be good cop. Credit to the Miami Dolphins starting the season one and seven. Now they sit at seven and seven. It might not be pretty. It might not be fun at every single time, but they go out there and win. And even in this game, we'll get to the Jets here in a moment. They weathered that storm in the first half extremely well. When trick plays, gimmick plays, throwbacks were being successful against them. And then you go into the second half and prevent that same club from only scoring to only score seven points. And, you know, you have COVID cases all across the board, the running back position. You bring in Duke Johnson for 22 carries, 107 yards and two scores when you can't run the ball at all this season. So just quick shout out to Miami and what you're doing. So, well, I was being harsh because they have to make a decision for the long-term franchise. Obviously, Deshaun Watson comes into play. And 538 only has the Dolphins making the playoffs in 10% of the time at this point. Mm. So this is this is a team that's, I mean, yeah, they're playing to try to sneak in there. But realistically, they're not a playoff team. And it just is to a, a big enough difference maker to keep them out of the sweepstakes for uh, Deshaun Watson. I hate, I shouldn't be using that term. It's like, way more complicated 
and bad than that. Um, but I'm sure the Dolphins owner is looking at, okay, Tua in these games versus Deshaun Watson. I think like we're breaking to that point. We'll have a lot more to say on the quarterback carousel. That'll be one of our first shows, I'm sure, after the season. How many quality quarterbacks there are versus how many teams need one. But it certainly sounds like, and this has been the rumblings for the entire time, that Deshaun Watson only wants to go to the Miami Dolphins. I believe there was a previous report saying he would not waive his no-trade clause for the Philadelphia Eagles. Mike Florio just randomly threw it in in a story about Watson recently that he also denied a trade to the Carolina Panthers who were totally okay with trading for him despite the civil settlements not happening so far. So if you get rid of those three or those two, it sounds like Miami is the only the only outcome that we're headed for here. But there's plenty of time to talk about that moving forward. So Jets end. Michael Four is not the problem here, Hayden. These are some sweet plays that the OC for the Jets put out there third and goal empty out of 11 personnel emotion and Bracton Barrios and a full sprint to the right side with the snap. Again, I want to bring up empty because we've seen this Miami defense when the opposition does go with no back out there, load up on the blitz that you just cannot protect with your offensive line. So Barrios gets the pitch. The offense does not move down the field, the line, and so it's a, basically a pass run option. Jameson Crowder falls down in the back of the end zone, and so he runs it in for the score. We also had a like little um, hook and ladder situation down um, in the game, but I think at the end of the day, it was a for me at least. They were down seven, thirty-one to twenty-four. Three minutes left, two timeouts. They had fought back to get this game into a score, and then they go under center run. Wilson scramble to a running back screen then they ended up having to punt the ball. So it's just like a lack of faith into Zach Wilson. And for Wilson, a lot of it's just, he's breaking out of the pocket when he doesn't have to. And he made a couple plays um, out of structure in this game, but I'm not sure how sustainable that's going to be. Um, it's really hard to judge because it's Jamison Crowder, Keelan Cole and Denzel Mims, their top three receivers. Um, but there's a lot of holes to fix for the Jets, obviously. Um, going to the running back situation for fantasy purposes, Michael Carter, he started. He had an awesome blitz pickup for a first down. But Tevin Coleman was there to play um, near the goal line. He was on the field for almost every single goal line snap, um, including the Zach Wilson quarterback sneak. He had a little bit more juice than probably we were used to. Um so I think it's going to be a one-two committee. I don't think that Zach Wilson is going to pass the ball to the running backs quite at the same rate as we saw with um, Mike White and uh, Johnson. So lots of holes to fix for the Jets, obviously. Um, I'm going to see how many more teams we have left. I might take this down by myself. Give me one second here. Um. Sorry, guys. All right. Luckily, we only have two more teams left. I'm going to do this by myself. Houston Texans are a 30th ranked team. Uh, they got a big win here. Uh, they probably should have been the favorite in this game. Uh, basically, Davis Mills is effective enough. The Jaguars right now without uh, Josh Allen, without Miles Jack, just they, they just don't have enough talent 
Um, Sexton's got a special teams touchdown here. Uh, Brandon Cooks had a couple amazing plays. Um, he had a downfield target that went incomplete, but that was an ISO deep threat. He had the screenplay, which was beautifully designed. The Jaguars had a slot blitz against them, and it was a perfect play call because Brandon Cooks was just by himself. Uh, gets a uh, long play, basically in garbage time, on a third and nine when the Jaguars just needed one more stop, and they couldn't do it. So the Jaguars, a lot of the sloppiness that they had with Urban Meyer kind of carried over here. Um, I'm sure the rain played a part of that, but too many drops, too many special teams blunders, and they kicked a field goal on the first possession uh, when it was a third and 10 run in the red zone. Then they decide to kick the ball after getting seven yards. And this was, they had like momentum without urban and then they still just kicked the field goal. So a very frustrating game for the Jaguars. I think they're the worst team in the league. And I don't think that's that much of Trevor Lawrence, but this got too many drops and just like a total disaster on special teams. I still have way too much faith in Trevor Lawrence's career, but that's more bring it all back full circle, more of a gut feeling than anything else, because it's not like his, you can point to full game scenarios that say, Oh yeah, that was a great Trevor Lawrence performance this year. A great performance for that entire offense. But I'm just a believer. And just even how he's speaking to the media and handling the urban Meyer fiasco of that. He is totally in a good mental place for his development as, as we move forward. Uh, I am. Can I talk about Visco real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so Visca, really interesting usage. Uh, he came in third in routes because he's a slot receiver only. He's not playing in two wide receiver sets. To start the game, they had a jet sweep to him. They had two different bubble screens to him, and he was finishing those catches with like like truck sticks, first downs. They were great plays. That's like how you use them. But later in the game, when they actually needed to pass the ball on like traditional routes, he kept just effing things up. He had a brutal drop on a... Uh, a slant route. He had an out route that went off his fingertips. Um, he had a pass interference. It was like press man coverage. And it was like third and five. And he just hammers this defensive back. That's obviously was called for defense pass or offensive pass interference. Like to me, he's basically a gadget player. Like he's not even like a full-time slot player to me. And it's super sad to see because he's like clearly athletic enough, but there's too many things where it's like timing or just like traditional route running where it's just like not adding up. So I, I wonder if like eventually he's just going to go into like kind of this like Rondale Moore role where he's not play speed. that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, he really trucks some guys though. Like there was a couple of players who were like, whoo. Uh, but like, I wonder if he like literally just needs to be, all right, we're getting him four or five touches no matter what, but they're all going to be in the backfield on screens and all that type of stuff. I don't know. There's like, he's one of the worst receivers against man coverage this year. And I think it's part of the problem with with the Trevor Lawrence numbers. Oh, a lot of it is. When you don't speed to threaten vertically as a wide receiver, that run is so much more difficult. You know, they need to be a contested catch player. It's just the whole package is just not good enough for LaVisca Chenault. And, I mean, the draft pick of Travis Etienne to vision is going to be, right? Like, he's just going to play traditional running back moving forward, I think. There's going to be a huge change ahead for Jacksonville that they've already had over the last couple of years too. And uh, I mean, they picked urban over Eric B They picked urban over a bunch of other coaches that went other places. And 
bad franchises stay bad because of their ownership and the decisions that they make. And so I just have no faith in them turning this into a short-term negativity around the number one overall pick and that there's going to be a lot of growing pains. It's going to be a lot of growing pains. But again, I, I still think like the individual, I know he's only thrown one touchdown since like week seven, but it's all gut. I'm, I'm, I'm still aboard the, the, the Trevor Lawrence bandwagon. So oh, I was right. looking at rankings for 2022 is like the quarterback, like 19 or 20 in best ball. I think I'm going to be probably a little more bullish on that. Let's get Byron Leftwich over to Jacksonville. How about that? Glazer says there's a huge groundswell for that to happen. So that would make, make a ton of sense. Just so many things to fix there. Too much in one offseason. All right. Let's get out of here. We'll be back here tomorrow with another show. Thank you all for being here. Sorry about my internet. We all need a day off here at some point. All right. For Hayden, I'm Josh. Thank you all for tuning in the podcast feed on the YouTube show as well. If you made it this far, a like, a subscribe would mean the world. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. <laughs>